you actually are is a gift and that not everybody has to be the same in order to be holy, that there is a different path of holiness for all of us and it can be so life-giving and healing without making you feel like you have to lessen who you are. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we will explore the world of the Enneagram 9 with my dearest of dear friends, author Sarah Bessie. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your happiest host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, today I am happy and sad. I am so sad because we are wrapping up our For the Love of the Enneagram series, and it's been, I think, my favorite series we've ever done. An incredible time of learning. I cannot tell you how many conversations this series has spurred in my own household um, and in my friend circle. I'm just so sad to see it go, but we could not possibly wrap it up with a better grand finale than what we have today because... The person helping me put a bow on the end of this incredible series is my dearest, one of my best friends, who happens to be the most wonderful Enneagram 9 herself. And of course, I'm talking about Sarah Bessie. If you've been around me for half of one second, you know that I love her. You've probably heard her on this very podcast. She was on our Faith series last year. She is an incredibly beautiful writer. If you've not read her latest book, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, just hurry up and go get your life right. Go get it. It's beautiful. Just like pure goodness. Gorgeous writing, incredible storytelling. Sarah is the co-creator of the Evolving Faith Conference, which you've also heard me talk about a ton. She is such a wonderful mom and wife and friend. She's very, very much Canadian, which may or may not contribute to her Enneagram 9-ness. Maybe all Canadians are an Enneagram 9. I'll have to ask her that. But she is so delightful, so kind, so wise, so good. She has been the truest friend to me. Like, I can't even say enough. And she has been a student of the Enneagram for years. I remember Sarah walking us through what she was learning in the Enneagram years ago when we were still like, I don't know what that is. And then she's since taught me so much about it and been an incredible conversation. And Enneagram 9s, you are going to love this episode. Sarah wraps words around who you guys are and what you think and what you feel and what you want and need so clearly, so precisely. I think you are just going to feel so loved and seen today. And all the rest of us who love 9s, who live with 9s, who've married 9s and parenting 9s, Ah, you're going to understand them so much better after this incredibly beautiful conversation. So pleased, again, to bring you one of my favorite people in the entire world, Sarah Bessie. Well... I just said this to you before we started recording, but there isn't a person on earth I would rather wrap this series up with than you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so happy to be here. It feels funny to be recording and like talking officially, but it does. This is great. It does. So everybody listening, Sarah and I talk with our voices 
all the time in our friend circle. And we do that on Voxer, which we've talked about forever. But, you know, we're not usually recording it. We can't be recorded. We'd all go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> the only way blackmail works is if it's mutual. <laughs> so. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, so... I'm so happy that you're here. So you have been talking to me about the Enneagram way before I drank the Kool-Aid. And so just for everybody listening, can you talk for a few minutes about when you first encounter the Enneagram? I'm not even sure I know that origin story. And who introduced it to you and what you started learning? How long until you were like, oh, yep, I'm 100% a nine. Did that happen pretty quickly? You know, it was a bit of a slow burn for me, I think, in terms of discernment. The first time that I encountered it was a number of years ago. And I had a girlfriend who actually was an Enneagram coach. And she would talk about it and kind of would share some of it. And I was very resistant because I felt like it was quite negative. And so I, you know, kind of kept it on the peripheral for a little while and then she did ended up doing a typing session with me. And so instead of me discovering kind of my type through, you know, doing an online test or, you know, reading books or whatever else, I had like a real coach sitting down with me and doing like a typing session where she had like cards and she had questions and prompts and all these things that she could do. And then even there after kind of discovering that type through that process, it became something that I then set aside again for a little bit longer. Because in a lot of ways, I felt like engaging with my type or engaging with the conversation or the, even the opportunity for spiritual formation that it presented me was like going from like a dark room into a room that was really bright. And it took my eyes a while to adjust. Yeah, what a good way to sense. describe that. Yeah, it does. And so once my eyes kind of adjusted to like, the unending beams of light, which was the Enneagram, there was this sense of, okay, now I know my path for my, almost my soul. I know my path for my work. I know my path for spiritual formation and health. And then at that point, and that was probably about five or six years ago, was when I was really like, okay, well, we can do this. So, okay, for everybody listening, can you just high level for everybody talk through what is a nine? What does a nine look like? What does a nine look like in health? Just the whole thing. Can you give sort of a snapshot of that type? You know, I, I think that sometimes that's one of the hardest things about a nine is that we often are very dissociated from ourselves because we tend to merge with whoever we're with. Right. Oh, so we can man. almost be wow. one of the hardest ones to really get mm. a beat on. But a lot of Enneagram teachers or coaches often refer to us as the peacemaker. And that means that we are people who are not only seeking peace within ourselves, but at your healthiest in the world, right? That you move from being a peacekeeper to being like an actual peacemaker. And I think that when you are healthy, there is a lot of goodness to that. It gives you a path towards, I mean, I think one of the things I love most about being a nine or that I think is very indicative of a nine is that we tend to be very open to people and to God and to nature. And we have a sense of wholeness to that, where we can really see that in relationships and our spirituality, that there is almost this ability to have a well of compassion and hold everything there. Richard Rohr has a book called Everything Belongs, and I think that that's a very nine title. Like, just everything sure belongs. Is. 
<laughs> everything belongs. We're able to kind of like hold all of those tensions, tend to be your mediators when we're healthy. But also there's this shadow side of nines that leans toward numbness and sloth and routines of being just almost pathologically avoiding conflict, not only outside in the world, but even in your own heart. And so that's where the numbing comes in. That's where things like, for me, even with the Enneagram in the beginning, I numbed it out. I avoided it right? because there was conflict waiting there. I numbed it so hard. And so, you know, there's things about being a nine as well. They kind of call it the crown of the Enneagram because in a lot of ways, even you can embody the whole goodness of it which again, can sometimes be a negative when you are merging with other people. But when you are healthy, it means that you are able to embody kind of the the wholeness of it and kind of have this sense of power almost to that. Mm, That is my experience of you and of virtually all the healthy nines in my life, which is just, I always, when I talk about nines, I'm like, they're just so dreamy in the world. I mean, so delicious and I'm always so lucky to be in close relationship with a healthy nine because you bring so much goodness to bear on your relationships. You know, I deeply, of course, understand the shadow side of a nine because, as you know, I'm a raging three, but I go (laughs) in, in disintegration, I go to the shadow side of a nine, which, as you know, for me, looks like complete withdrawal. I just shut it down. I go quiet. I go dark. I go numb. I go sloth. And so that just, I understand that impulse so much. It's interesting as we slide around on the Enneagram when we're healthy. You you mentioned Richard, of course, who's a one. But when you talked about his title, you know, he said in this stage of his life, he's very much accessing his nine wing, the everyone belongs wing, which is so wonderful to hear. He suggested that you know, we could, our wings, we're going to get there in a minute, but can shift about the midpoint in life, which is interesting because I cannot imagine myself as a four, but I would love to be one. Sounds wonderful. Let me ask you this, because you said you resisted the Enneagram at first because it felt negative. I understand what you're saying there. You know, I don't love negative feelings either. And so I know just like you, I felt like I was really like, ding, 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 you're getting really hot. When I saw the shadow side of a three, I'm like, well, that sucks. (laughs) Why do they know this about me? Like, it's it's not literally standing naked in the room. You're like, look away. (laughs) Devastating. I didn't even want to admit it to anybody because I didn't want them to read how gross I am when I'm dark. Like, I don't want to, I've been hiding that. I've been patching that up. So what When you were encountering your work and you saw kind of all that makes up a nine across the entire spectrum of health and disintegration, how did that or did that change the way that you looked at yourself or talked to yourself? Did it aid you in looking at the parts of you that could be disintegrated more critically or with a kinder eye? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it does. I think I think too for those of us who are a type that is very different than our context, you can almost feel like you're always trying to shoehorn yourself into that. And so for me, you know, learning that I was a nine, learning that these things about me that that make me who I am are not actually they don't mean I'm broken. Hmm, that's good. Right? They don't mean that I am doing it wrong. I grew up in a religious context in a, a religious home, you know, that was in that, you know, third wave neo-charismatic 
happy clappy kind of thing, which is very much, you know, probably like a, a three or a four kind of energy, right? About being both an achiever, but also really wanting like the mystical signs and wonders and energy of that. And, you know, my one parent was an eight and the other's a one. And so I just kind of feeling like, my ability to see everything from every side or always being able to see the one for who what everybody was saying was true wasn't true. You know, being able to have an awareness of both the light and the shadow and not being afraid of either one. Those sorts of things helped me begin to realize that those things that I had thought were, you know, aspects of myself that I had to like spiritually mature out of, you know, surely I would be more certain. Surely I would be more, you know, ready to contend for the truth. Surely I would be a better black and white thinker. You know, I, surely I would be better oh, at these yeah. things. Were actually gifts from the Holy Spirit. That this was actually how I was engineered and created and blessed to be in the world. And that far from me needing to, for sure, there's, you know what, there is a guardrail there, right? There are those key indicators of our health or, or our lack of health. But who you actually are, is a gift and that not everybody has to be the same in order to be holy, that there is a different path of holiness for all of us. And it can be so life-giving and healing without making you feel like you have to lessen who you are. That's so good. And you're right, because every single type on the Enneagram spectrum is beautiful. I mean, just beautiful human beings and so special and unique and able to enter relationships and systems and scenarios with such a different set of gifts and skills. And there is no such thing as this is the good one and this is the bad one. Although we tend to hate our own shadow sides so bad, but let's talk about your wing. Because this conversation is interesting, and the, several of the different experts that I've talked to over the course of the series, they have different opinions about the wings. Some of them find them incredibly instructive and useful and really help us round out our Enneagram understanding. And a couple of them don't and found them distracting and that it can potentially send us kind of all over the place in a bit of confusion. And so number one, I'd like to hear what you think about that. Number two, what wing do you primarily identify with? Because of course, we have access to both. Yeah, absolutely, we do. And I think that, I mean, I'm not an Enneagram expert, but just in my own, I think that we do tend to have usually one that we lean on more than the other. But I think the, the, again, you know, going back to like the ultimate path of the Enneagram is that you do integrate. Yeah, right? It's right. not that you not that you become more and more staunch in yourself. It's that you are able to kind of continue to walk with the spirit and you kind of end up almost embodying or, or, or welcoming the strengths of all of them, right? And learning from them and having those there. And so I think that the first chance you have to do that with is your wing. And so for me as a nine, I definitely have a very strong eight wing. <laughs> Usually shows up on Twitter. <laughs> 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 it's an eights playground, the Twitter. Once you've had a chance to kind of grapple with or or wrestle with the Enneagram in any way, and you almost get a chance to look back over your life, you begin to see certain points where it was like, oh, how did I miss it? Totally. Like, obviously, this was right here. Totally. Like, I literally, in my second book title, the subtitle of it is Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. <laughs> like, is there a more <laughs> title than that? Uh, but the Evolving Faith part's kind of eight-ish. Like, oh. Exactly. That, I mean, you just, there you are. That's there who it you is. Are. That's what it yourself. is. Yes. And even I look back on a lot, but, you know, even with my first book with Jesus Feminist, one of the things that was really an indicator, I think, that I had that eight wing was that I didn't run away from conflict there. 
so that you can say really hard, you know, strong, divisive things, but you do it in a very constructive, capable, calm sort of invitational way that adds a lot of strength. So I think that when you have, when you can access that eight wing, it makes me braver. It makes me bolder. It makes me able to lean into conflict a little bit more. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm still trying to develop the one side a little bit more, but I think I see it a little bit more in that in that way anyway. Totally. I mean, you named your book Jesus Feminist. That's got big eight energy right there. It does. Listen, parents, this is a weird time. No one knows quite what to do about school in the fall. (laughs) But if you are looking to take your kid's education into your own hands, something predictable, you should definitely check out Laurel Springs. Laurel Springs is an accredited online private school for students K through 12. And they recognize that each student is a unique person. So Laurel Springs has a flexible learning program that offers challenging and diverse courses. Plus, Laurel Springs is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges and Advanced Ed, which means their transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide. So right now, you can register your child at laurelsprings.com slash for the love today and receive a waived registration fee. Pretty cool. So that's Laurel. L-A-U-R-E-L, laurelsprings.com slash for the love for your waived registration fee. Take the leap into online schooling at laurelsprings.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. I want to talk to you for a minute about how the Enneagram is able to serve us in our relationships. I know, you know, you and I have talked about this a million times, but it's so useful as a tool, not just for kind of self-identification and growth, but marriage and in parenting. And so I wonder if you could talk for a minute about Brian and what is his number? How does your nineness show up inside your marriage attached to the person that you married? And even with your kids, and of course they're younger and they're still developing and growing, but we have a beat on our own kids. How does being a nine affect you as a mom too? I'd like to just hear you talk about how this shows up in, in your home. I feel like that is probably one of the greatest gifts of the Enneagram has been in my relationships with other people. Not only, you know, even in within, you know, your immediate family, but even in the sense of like, boy, it just gives you such compassion for people, right? And such an understanding of where things are. I have someone I love in my life who's a one. And when I realized the depth of the inner criticism that that person was living with, I wept. And I just felt so tender, so tender towards our ones. And so Brian's a three. And... Maybe that's why you and I get along so well. I'm not sure. Yes, you understand us. <laughs> yeah. You do. Triad is one of the aspects of the Enneagram that can be, you know, a little bit confusing for people. It means that you've got, you know, your own number. So for me as a nine, and then you've got one number you move towards when you're feeling healthy and strong. And for me, that's a three. I, when I'm feeling healthy and strong, I'm engaged, I'm achieving, I'm getting things 
done. A lot of people from the outside can look at my life and think I'm a three. Mm -hmm, Totally. And then on the other side, you have another number that you go towards, which for me is a six, which is your path of what they call disintegration. This is what you look like when you're not doing so great and you take on the worst characteristics. So it's a bit of a fun energy. When I say fun, I mean like terrible because... strong I look more like my husband and when he's a mess he looks more like me (laughs) oh that is right that's right not great oh that's so right I had not really thought of this I know. And so it's kind of an interesting thing because we understand each other really well we understand each other's motivations really well we also have a very peaceful home which is really you know works well for me Right. And so I think that being able to be, you know, a mediator is really helpful in those instances. I think having a nine in your home when they're healthy and engaged means that there's a lot of empathy and you're able to see all sides. There's a lot of love and acceptance without a lot of judgment. But on the backside, I mean, when I'm in times when I am not doing well, that, you know, avoiding conflict, I mean, I have joked, well, my sister has often joked that my spiritual gift is passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I can be a wee bit passive aggressive, (laughs) which isn't always great. And so, I mean, but even when I, I think that even the awareness of those things of realizing that that was actually how I am and how I can be was really healing in my marriage and healing in my other relationships. We have four children and they are as different from each other as, you know, you can possibly imagine. And I try to resist typing them or give them a narrative before they've really had a chance to shape their own. But quietly in the back of your mind, you're always like, oh, you're totally a seven. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I try not to do it too. I can't help it. Oh. I have found it really, I don't know, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. I have found some of the language, again, because the Enneagram in your type, I mean, there's one part, this is how you're created to be in the world. This is how you bear the image of God in the world. And then there's this other part of it that is, it's really clearly honed in you because of your childhood wounds, right? And there's something very humbling about that as a parent, (laughs) as someone who is charged with shepherding someone else's soul and, and being in the world for a time and bringing them kind of to to the world or, or, or participating in that shaping, right? And so in a lot of ways, sometimes when I think I see their type, it almost makes me a little bit nervous because I'm like, is, is this something that you're lacking? Is this an inadvertent wound, you know, that I'm kind of creating? I don't know if this needs to be on the podcast at all, but... Yes, it does. But it's a sense of like, I don't know, it's sobering, I guess. It's usually non-intentional. It's just how this person was and how this person was. And just sometimes they can be the most loving and, and caring and good, good caregivers. But there is sometimes this alchemy that happens and this is what ends up resulting. And so it's not a place of blame or finger pointing or guilt as much as it is an invitation just to explore, right? And to be to be honest. And so, I don't know, as a parent now on this side of it, I'm always just kind of a little bit spitey sensey about the childhood wound aspect of it. Oh, I hate kids. that. I hate there? that. I, yeah, I hate that. that. I hate that whole system. I hate thinking about our kids growing up and having to dissect <laughs> the wounds they experienced in our houses. And it's just, of course, it's inevitable where they're not going to be the first generation to walk out of childhood unscathed. But I sure do hate that. Golly, I wish we could abdicate here. There's some freedom in that of realizing we don't get to escape that. You're right. And you can't parent your way perfectly out of that. You still, no matter who you are, or how good of a parent you are, or how much you love Jesus, or how you did everything you possibly knew how to do, the truth is, is that we weren't meant to be everything to our kids. 
they need a community, they need Jesus, they need their own path to walk out. And in a way, there's almost some freedom to that of, it's going to happen anyway. And so you might as well, you know, almost just release that expectation that you won't wound them. It's going to happen. We just, I feel like we need to say that out loud to each other and to our communities a million times. Because that is not the parental narrative you and I were handed. That is not at all it. I completely heard a story that there is a real clean path through parenting and it's formulaic and here are the tools and you here's how you do a family meeting and I mean just all the things you know like this is how you create perfect young adults and of course you know that's dead and buried for me of course because I already have young adults but we weren't given the freedom that you just said and so we're going to have to claim that our, on our own uh, it's not going to be our sort of community narrative that's going to tell us what you just said. That's some really deep internal work that matters so much. I want to go back to something you said a second ago, because you kind of mentioned it in passing, but to me, this is something really, really, really special about the nines. I experience nines as a really interesting capacity for being spiritual seekers, if you will, just this ability for openness, this ability for curiosity, this potential for like evolution. And I I say that word specifically because obviously you co-created Evolving Faith with Rachel. And that is what that space is. Like if that's how I had to to sort of cast it, it would be this place that is very, very safe for spiritual curiosity, which I did not grow up like that and neither did you. And so can you talk a little bit about how this works for you between you and God, between you and the world, between you and and faith in general, this sacred way of imagining the world? I grew up where certainty was not only the currency, but for me, kind of in my type, it, it was a comfort. I liked it. Where it rubbed for you, it was a comfort for me and I was good at it. I mean, give a three a faith with rules. She'll be the best rule follower that ever lived. And I was. And so I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I kind of envy the way a nine is able to hold his or her faith. Can you talk about that? Definitely. I don't know if, I think that some of this has maybe come as I've gotten older of realizing that the very things that I had been taught to fear about my spirituality were actually gifts. You know, I think that some of the aspects of nines that we bring to some of these conversations is just really this, we're non-dualistic, right? Yes, but that is radical. That's radical in Western Christianity. Yeah, absolutely it is. I think especially if you came of age in anything that was evangelical adjacent in North America, it was very much certainty. And if this, then that. Right. And in a lot of my work around evolving faith, we talk a lot about spiritual formation and paths of spiritual growth. And there's these stages of spiritual development that are very much like that. They function best if you are a literal, if this, then that black and white thing. Totally. And nines seem to come very easily into this sense of almost mysticism of seeking and, and, and bringing wholeness to people, of having space for almost everyone right? And being able to kind of make room for that in a way that feels like sanctuary. And that it's not a matter of having to have everything figured out or not be curious. And we're able to even usually hold the aspects of ourselves that are not maybe as whole as we would want them to be, or our unanswered prayers, or our grief, 
or our loss, at the same time, we can hold our joy. And I think that that's sometimes one of the things that I've been grown to be most thankful for. The older you get, the longer you live, the more sorrow you've experienced, the more loss you've experienced, is learning that you don't have to choose between hope and grief. That's great. That you get to hold both of them and that that's actually you know, a, a place of, of healing and wholeness and goodness in the world. It's not a matter of, you know, pretending that everything's fine, which I think nines have a real tendency to want to do. We tend to be very like simplistic and bright side and let's get those silver linings on those clouds, people. And that is not great. You know, it's, it's a thing that can drive people literally crazy. And then on the other side, there can be this almost like total withdrawal into that grief and into that cynicism and into that numbness. And so I think the invitation for nines is what does it look like to acknowledge and hold and bless both of those things? Oh, man. To hold both of them, to bring them to God. I think that having no divisions between what is sacred and secular in your life is another aspect of being a non-dualistic thinker that can be a real blessing and gift, not only to you, but to the people whom you lead or who with whom you're in relationship, to say that the most human parts of you are actually also the most sacred and the most beautiful and most made in the image of God. That feels like such a relief to my like little three heart. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just I think that that's one of the things that I am so grateful for in my relationships with threes and and my relationships, or honestly, with almost every other type. Because again, we get some aspect of the image of God from each of us. Right. But I think the thing that nines can tend to bring, I'm not saying that this is what I bring out, the energy I bring all the time by any stretch of the imagination, but there is this sense of unconditional love. Yes, there is. And abiding in it. That I think that's the, the invitation that we have when we can, that that's the gift that we can bring to those places is that unconditional acceptance, unconditional love. And to walk in that and know it, but then almost give it as a gift to other people. You do. And you are healthy. And that's exactly how I experience you. In fact, I told you a month ago when Fierce came out that I, I told myself the day before it released that I was literally going to be you. That was my whole goal <laughs> was for the whole, I was going to be Sarah Bessie because you have set an example for me so well. We've released so many books together. Why do we keep writing books? What are you doing? <laughs> I blame you. It's your influence. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. I try to access my gen whenever I'm releasing a book. I'm like, okay, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be fierce. I'm going to be free. You <laughs> can mark it. You, you really do have some three energy that you have clear access to. But I watched you on the last couple of your own releases where you just did such a beautiful job sitting deeply in every moment. And you were like, for this, I am grateful. This right now, what is happening is beautiful. And I cherish it and I see it and I am experiencing it fully in my heart. And it meant so much to me because my impulse, I'm already 10 steps down the road. I'm like, what's the next marker? How do we keep going? What's the momentum? And I struggle to ever be grateful in the moment I'm in, ever. It never feels like enough. Never. It does not matter how hard I have worked or how precious the moment is. I, I'm just always knowing this is going to pass in a minute and then I'll be back to the not enough. So you have taught me what it looks like, the health of sitting deeply in a moment and just, just treasuring it for what it is. Now, I'm not saying that I did that because I didn't, but I wanted to. I you know, tried. I saw that in you this time around. I mean, honestly, I've seen that in you the last couple of books. I mean, because again, you and I've talked about this before, but you really earned fierce. 
You earned every word of it. You earned every bit of wisdom that you had. This is your book that you wrote after wrestling with God, and this is your limp you're offering back to the world. And it looks so beautiful. And I think that that's one of the things that I've seen you do as you have matured and you have grieved and you have developed those really robust muscles of hope and gratitude and love and goodness. You have become so centered and seeing you release this book and seeing you just feel it all and let it all belong with you, letting, you know, whether it's the moments of, you know, hustling or it's the moments of gratitude, you have done a really, really good job of all of that, Jen. I don't want you to miss like just how beautiful it is to see you walking this out and just how lovely it has been. I see that you haven't missed it. You've had eyes. You've had eyes for every single gift in the midst of all of it, and you have appreciated it and noticed it. And I think that that is really beautiful because it is such a gift to everybody else. And so it's like, God, you want it to be a gift to you too. (laughs) Totally. I learned that from you. I learned that from watching you. Parents, I don't have to tell you that it's summer break. I know you know. So if you're looking for something fun for your kid that just so happens to also expand their brain, please let me introduce you to KiwiCo. With KiwiCo, your kid can get super cool science and art projects delivered to their door every single month. KiwiCo has projects perfect for every single age. Plus, your kid won't believe what they can build with KiwiCo. And when they're finished... You can watch their confidence grow. It's They're so fun and they're so cool. And they're not just for kids. They have crates for everyone, whether you're four or 104. If you get the Eureka crate, you can pretend you're an engineer and make an electric pencil sharpener or an actual wooden ukulele. Like, how cool is that? KiwiCo is redefining play. Hands-on projects that build confidence and creativity and critical thinking skills. There's something for every single kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. So you can get, here's a great deal, 30% off your first month on select crates at KiwiCo.com slash for the love. Okay, so it's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. So you are so incredibly self-aware and you're also healthy. You're in really good full possession of who you are and where you are. And so what for you have you learned to pay attention to? What are the warning signs, if you will, the red flags that you are potentially beginning to move away from health? Like what is going on in your life and maybe in your behaviors or maybe it's interior in your mind where you start to notice, uh uh-oh. Uh Uh-oh, danger. We got to steer the ship back. What does that look like for a nine? You know, I think one of the things that I really have grown to appreciate about the Enneagram is that it's almost the only spiritual formation tool. I mean, with the exception of maybe some like super fundamentalist people, but it's almost the only one I've found that really talks about sin. That talks honestly. I think that, you know, again, you and I have kind of both found ourselves in some form of of public, you know, ministry and, and life within what a lot of people would consider, you know, more the progressive area of the church. But the truth is, is that I still really yearn for and need language for sin that I haven't haven't evolved past that, I guess, yet at any point, just like I haven't evolved past Jesus in any way. 
And so I think that for me, learning how to speak well about sin in a way that is not shaming, that is not guilt-inducing, that is not crippling, but in a way that is an invitation has been what what this has been for me. And so, I mean, you know, I think that for me, a lot of um, beginning to acknowledge what my be- own besetting sins are, because then it illuminates a path of growth. It right. almost serves as like a guardrail. And even, if, you know, going back to how so much of this has lived in relationship, I know that when, you know, my husband says to me, you know, hey, you've been, you know, really withdrawn. You haven't talked really for a week, you know, or when I get really stubborn, I can tend towards a lot of numbing behaviors in order to avoid even the conflict that I'm feeling in my own heart. So if I'm feeling conflict with other people, I can literally just retreat into myself or, or into a book or into, you know, food or, you know, for some people it would be alcohol or drugs or, you know, that we can numb to those things because that's our way of withdrawing. There's a sleepiness almost to some of my, my sinful patterns, a sloth, passive aggression. And I think that when I begin to see those things manifesting in my life, and this is the, you know, the work that you do really for your whole life, is that there's almost this underlying thing is I'm going to sleep, that I'm not rising, that I am falling deeper and deeper and deeper in. And so for me, that's where the invitation then in terms of sinfulness or sloth or whatever else, you know, whatever language you want to, you want to use is that then that's, the invitation is to restore you to right relationship, not only with God, but with yourself and with other people. And for me, that looks like yeah, that path of integration for me goes more towards your yourself as a right. three Engagement. of rising and engaging and waking up. And that's why I am so grateful to be married to a three because it gives me a path, right? It gives me totally. a thing. And, and to be in close relationship and close friendship with you or, you know, the other threes in my life, it gives me a, a glimpse of like, I need to engage you know, that some types, when they're not doing great, they need to withdraw, they need silence, they need, you know, a lot of things. I have to move towards engagement if I'm going to be well. And that is a spiritual discipline for me. It is almost an act of faith sometimes to do. Totally. When all your instincts are saying to bury. Yes. Um, Really, it's just obedience almost. Well, there's even like this sense of like belittling in a nine, like your voice doesn't matter. There's a natural cynicism almost to it, like this sense of like, you don't matter. This doesn't matter. Why would anyone want to hear from you? You're not the important person in the room. Like, I, I, you can walk in a room and just literally nobody will know you're there and you'll leave again. It's fine. <laughs> it's just oh my like, gosh. right. You could just, it's not great. I've heard you say this before. Before we started recording, Sarah's like, I have a suggestion for an alternative person you should probably interview for this episode. I'm like, no, I want to interview you. Stop giving me some sales. I'm still doing my work, Jen. I'm still doing my work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that so much. Oh, it's so, it's so opposite. It's so funny. How about this? I want to ask you this. Let's say that somebody is listening and they are married to a nine or they're in close relationship to a nine, uh, parenting one, whatever. If someone finds themselves in conflict with a nine, which you got to push a nine hard. I mean, you got to really, really push to the end of the, the end of the fuse. But how would you suggest, what is the best path toward reconciliation or toward restoration with a nine in conflict? Like what gets to you? What finally reaches you? What brings you back? 
That is a really good question. You know, I think one of the biggest triggers for me, and I mean, maybe other nines and who are some of your listeners would, would say differently, and maybe, you know, they could even share some of those things after they listen. But I think that some of the things that were really, again, because going back to some of the, the tendencies or the temptations that you have as a nine is to withdraw, right? To just shut down, to just go deep and go deeply within. And just, there's a lot of processing that happens on the inside. And a lot of people sometimes can, you know, think that we are never angry or never resentful, but actually that's just, we're just holding all of that. Totally. <laughs> Super angry. <laughs> furious. <laughs> Inwardly full of rage. It's great. And so there can be this sense of like going along in your life with a nine and not realizing that that is piling up. And then all of a sudden there will be like this rage monster that will just like show up and be like, that's it. Tables flipped. We're done here. You know, kind of thing. And it can be scary for the people in the room, but it can be really scary for the nine when that happens because they want to believe that that's not who they are. The best case scenario is to have conflict before it gets to that. And that can be like pulling teeth with a nine. And so the things that I have found that really cause me to shut down is when there is very in your face conflict, when there is yelling, when there is accusations, when there is like really high conflict and high disagreement and and big, big aggression. I will just literally shut down and it's over. I will never speak of it again. It will never come up again. Like So that's not super great. So if you're in a relationship with a nine, I think some of the best things that, oh, this is what my family tells me works, is to slow down, to make conflict a place of connection, right? To find ways to have peaceful connection while you are working through what the conflict is, to learn how to almost help them say what they need and say what they want and know they won't die from it. Totally. Right. And so some of the things even practically that they have done that I have found really helpful is rather than like the intensity of like face to face, they'll put me in the car and go for a drive side by side. We'll just talk it through and they will give me lots of room to talk about all the things that need to be talked about, say all the things that need to be said, and will try to gently help me see where we are in conflict here and where this needs to be resolved. And what do you think would be a help, helpful way for us to, you know, to kind of find some peacefulness here? So, I mean, you know, maybe I'm being managed, but it works. Right, totally. <laughs> Not mad about it. <laughs> I know what I'm being handled. I yeah, exactly. As long, I don't, yeah. not even mad. It's so much better. So yes. much better. <laughs> but I will say too that nines are really great to have in the room during conflict oh, when they're healthy. Totally. Oh my god. You know, because they're able to understand everybody's side and usually bring it together and articulate it and name it in a way that makes everybody feel heard yep. and everybody feel validated and can find a cooperative agreement. And so when a nine is healthy and able to engage in conflict, they are literally peacemakers. Oh, literally. So reasonable, so able to hold and nurture dialogue, the greatest thoughtful mediators. It's so true. Like you definitely have that muscle to flex when you want to and when you can. The Enneagram helps us understand one another. And thus, as you mentioned earlier, it offers us the opportunity to develop deep compassion for the people that we're in relationships with. If you had to get down to the brass tacks, and somebody is listening who deeply wants to understand a nine. Can you talk about way, 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 way down at the bottom of everything? What is it that you want and need the most? And what is it that you're the most afraid of? I hate you. 
You should not see sweatshirts. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm looking on this side of the microphone. <laughs> Please buy me dinner first. Jesus. <laughs> you know, I think that, all right, let me think for a second. Okay. I think that some of the things that we are really yearning for is wholeness, right? There's a sense of having, needing to have integration of needing to have everything belong. And some of the things that can be really hard as we grow or as we learn, I mean, maybe this is just more my own stuff in in this regard, but one of the things I had struggled with the most, especially in adulthood, and the big shift that happened to me was learning to own my authority and learning that I actually had a voice and that it mattered. I'm learning that I got to have preferences that every time someone said, where do you want to go for dinner? I didn't have to say, whatever you want, <laughs> you know, in an effort to keep the peace. Like that's a small thing. You know, but when you put that on a grander scale of your life, history, your vocation, your choices, you yearn for your life, you end up having a life that looks nothing like who you actually are and what you actually want. Wow. And so I think that the temptation, again, going back to what we both love and hate about the Enneagram, is that there is an invitation always on the other side of the shadow side. And so for me, I felt like writing was really my place of learning to practice that, that it became an altar where I met with God without expectation on it, without any need for it to to produce or do something, that it really was my place to learn that you identify as God's beloved, that you matter, that you are deeply loved and deeply cherished and worthy and valuable beyond, you know, any, any of these other things. And so I think that for me, learning to own my voice own my authority, you know, and again, some of this can be conditioning, cultural conditioning as a woman, right? It can be cultural conditioning, even in terms of Canadians, like we have a very self-deprecating sense of humor. There's nothing more than making fun of ourselves. And so even learning to manage some of those things, right? And saying, okay, no, my voice is an act of faith, having uh, strength of, of leaning into those things, of owning the authority that I believe I've been given by the Holy Spirit and by God to, to minister, to live, or move through my life, instead of just constantly feeling this need to withdraw, belittle, you know, smaller, in order to not make other people uncomfortable. And so, I think that that will probably be the work I have to do for the rest of my life, which is a little bit sobering, but at the same time, it is, it's been healing. There's been this sense of goodness and of co-creating with God in the midst of that, an invitation to it that I am incredibly grateful for, and I don't think I'll ever really get over it. I love that so much. I love hearing you say that because I have watched you do this. I find you a fully reliable and faithful and trustworthy authority. And I appreciate you saying that that was work because I honor it. Like I honor that you did it and that you said yes to that invitation and that you stepped into it because your instinct was to shrug it off. And yet you have put your hand to the plow in that space now for, for so long that I consider you literally like one of the leading spiritual authorities in my life. I mean, well, then we're both in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you maybe just answered it, but just in case there's nuance to add before we wrap it up to the nines listening right now who are like, 
I'm interested in a path of growth. I want this. I want this for me first. And then ultimately for my relationships, you know, sometimes you just look wildly around like, where do I even start? You from a nine to the nines, how would you say, maybe here's just a place to begin. Here is what a nine might want to consider as she begins her own path forward. That's a really good question. I guess if I had to look back and think, what were some of the things that I wished I would have heard at the beginning stages of this journey? Well, there's a number of things. I mean, first of all, you won't die from saying no. (laughs) You you won't die from having a preference. That's good. But I think that some of the bigger things is really, I mean, and again, I know that I come from a more charismatic tradition. And so, I mean, I'm always, my answer to everything is always going to be the Holy Spirit. But (laughs) the Holy Spirit... You know, there is really this sense for me of an invitation to contemplation. And I think that nines, the invitation is to wake up to that. And so for go to the places, go for walks. Nature is a big thing for us. Beauty, goodness. And just really ask with open hands and an open heart and say, would you sh- begin to show me the ways that I am withdrawing? Would you show me the ways where I'm numbing? Would you give me eyes to see it? and ears to hear it, and a heart to understand when those things are happening. And when that happens, Spirit, would you illuminate those things? And then help me to lean into the pain of that, lean into the discomfort of it, and see that you are faithful even there. Oh, so good. That beginning stage for you will begin to be able to see like, oh, these routines aren't serving me, or this thing I'm doing, of not saying what I really think, or of hiding, or of belittling my own voice, or of pretending that I'm not as strong, or as powerful, or as insightful, or smart as I really am. But instead, you almost have to begin to have Holy Spirit eyes, or, or discernment eyes. And it, can, it doesn't have to be all the time, that sounds exhausting. But I think just having a gentle invitation there to say, all right, I'm seeing that I'm doing this thing, because the Holy Spirit has brought it to my attention. Can I sit with that? Can I explore it in prayer or in silence or on a walk or on a drive with someone you trust? And then just push into it a little bit and see if you can push to the other side of it and see what what is waiting for you on the other side of that threshold. Because almost any time that you're experiencing loss or grief or discomfort, any of those things, it's a liminal space where the Spirit is waiting. You can trust the invitation of the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere you go that God is not already waiting for you with love and acceptance and joy. You can lean into those. Mm, That is a sermon that you just gave. And that served me because I often present like a disintegrated nine. And so that very much served me today. And thank you for the reminder that just nobody will die from engagement in a hard place. And so that matters so much. The three episode in the series was with Lisa Welchel. And I asked her, you know, what, what would you say to a three who was considering a path of growth? She was like, I wonder if you could let yourself believe that Every bit about you is still so loved and lovable if you're absolutely ordinary. And I could have just howled. I guess maybe that's even part of it for a nine then, because on the flip side of that, God, that's a good word from Lisa. But there's this sense of like, could you believe you're just as loved if you were amazing? Could you believe you were just as loved if you woke up? If you rose, what would it look like, especially I think for the women of our time, for you to step into your God-given authority and power and and goodness for this moment in time? Could you not die of that? (laughs) Wow, I have goosebumps. Right? This is why it's so good because everybody has such a different path and needs to hear a different message and it's not dependent on those things. And so, 
Oh, that was so good because you guys are threes and us nines need you, right? We need that. We need each other. Between the two of us, we're like one whole person. (laughs) 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 We would make the most amazing and grounded human person if we could just mate. Okay, let's be real. We all want a comfortable bra, right? And I'm pretty sure that the tip top, most comfortable bra in the universe has to be a third love bra. Third love bras are designed with measurements from millions of women, and they have over 80 bra sizes, you guys, eight zero. I'm telling you, they fit like a dream. They have memory foam cups, tagless labels that don't itch, straps that don't slip, Like, I love them. I think I have at least eight. Plus, Third Love stands behind their products. According to their perfect fit promise, if you don't love it, you have 60 days to return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. In fact, they have donated over $15 million worth of bras, which is pretty incredible. Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering my listeners 15% of your whole first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash for the love now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off. So that's thirdlove.com slash for the love for 15% off today. All right, guys, back to our show. Okay, we're wrapping it up. These are just some quick questions that I asked everybody in the Enneagram series. And so you can just kind of top of your head it. Here's the first one. Not that we would want to. We love who we are. But if you could choose to be any other Enneagram number, I mean, even if it's just for a day, what number would you pick? Oh, that is a good question. You know, I don't know. Honestly, I mean, this is either probably an eight. I love eights in my life. Mm, I love their energy. I love their assertiveness. I love their strength and power. That just is really, really attractive to me. But also threes as well. I think especially when you are in a place of leadership or ministry, I yearn for their kind of certainty and ambition and and energy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You've picked two of the like high energy, high power numbers. That is so funny. I know. And I think it's because I just feel like that would serve me well. If I could just like put it on, especially during like big career stuff or whatever else, that would be really great. I think too, like, I don't know. Yeah. There's something really, really good about both of those numbers that I would really like. I love that. I wanted to be a seven because it seems so fun. It does seem so fun. But at last, I'm just not fun. That's I've just made my peace with it. Like, nope, that's not in the cards for me. Well, you can be fun as long as you're achieving like the most fun ever. <laughs> that's right. As long as I'm having the most fun. Exactly. Well, then, then we're fat. <laughs> okay. What about the flip side of that question? Which part of your nine personality do you love most about yourself? Well, that is, you know... I think that there's a there's a couple things that I really have grown to appreciate, I think, especially given things. I think that empathy, being able to see a lot of people's sides and really, really see everybody as being, you know, made in the image of God is, you know, helpful when you're in ministry. But one of the things that I have grown to really like about myself is that I'm easily pleased. Oh, oh. that I'm, I'm almost always like can find something to be happy about. 
And that small things bring me a tremendous amount of joy. I don't need things to be big and shiny. I don't need life to be anything but ordinary. I can get so much joy. Like even just last night, I think I tweeted out, I was like, the kitchen is clean after a family supper. The kids are on a bike ride and I have good music on. I've never been happier. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Easily pleased is a good way to go through life. (laughs) It sure is. God, we need the nines in the world. They are so important. And then, of course, last question, which you love, I love, we love her, we love this question. ABTs, what's saving your life right now? It's a weird, weird moment to ask. I could be super spiritual about this, but I'll be really honest and say I take a bath every night. And it is saving my life right now. I mean, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. My kids are home. I'm homeschooling four kids who are quite a bit more extroverted than I am. I have a seven in the mix. What's next? What's next? What's next? (laughs) And so between school and then trying to work full time around the edges of all of that, and I just is taking all my energy to manage everybody's peace and manage all the things that are happening and all the stuff that is going on. And every night at about 830, I go into my bathroom and I lock the door and I bring in a paperback book and I take 30 or 45 minutes of silence. Oh, oh, that sounds so dreamy. And then I get up and I go off and do it all again. I was like, I can keep doing this as long as you all need me to keep doing it. It's been five months now. I can keep doing this, but I just need my bath. (laughs) Do you do the whole thing? Like the salt, the bubbles, the whatever. Do you have a system? All of it. All of it. Throw it all All in. It's a a cauldron of soothing. (laughs) (laughs) A cauldron. Oh my gosh. What's the current paperback? That you're taking oh, with you. You know, I feel like, I don't know if anybody else is feeling this. I don't know if you're feeling this, but since the pandemic really kind of broke into our lives and kind of decimated everything, I have lost the ability to read anything above a grade eight level or hard or anything. Like I just, I would normally read like, you know, 10 books a week of like big theological things. I cannot do it right now. And so I've actually gone back and I'm revisiting the Inspector Gamash series. Have you read this? I know about it. I haven't read it. Delightful. It's saving my life probably just as much as the baths because there's about 15 books in the series. I've reread them probably three times. This is probably my fourth time through. Wonderful characters, beautiful setting, cozy murder. Is that a thing? I don't know. All the violence happens off the page. It's very nine-eight wing. It is. All the violence is off the page. And it's very much more like, you know, human motivations and relationships. And they eat really well. And you just grow to really, really love them. And so, yeah, they're very addictive. And I love these books very much. So I'm reading my way through Louise Penny's catalog right now. Okay, that's perfect. We'll link to that. Okay, sister. Well... You're my favorite nine in the whole world. (laughs) And I have learned so much from you, like just in a million ways, but definitely just in the way you are in the world. All the beautiful, profound things you say have deeply affected me. As you know, you're like deeply in in every bibliography and every book, (laughs) but just the way that you are the way that you are in amongst your friends and your family and your marriage, the way that you lead, the way that you consider. So incredibly instructive for me. When I'm trying to channel my best self, I just try to be you. I know, I don't think that's good science, but it's just what I tell myself. Like, what would Sarah do? I was just telling Sydney right before I came out here, I'm like, I'm going to pop in with to Sarah. She's like, oh, mom, Sarah. I'm like, I know. She said, mom, 
when Sarah saw me at Evolving Faith last year, we were leaving. She like grabbed me by the hands and kissed my hands and called me beloved child. I'm like, honey, that is Sarah. That is who (laughs) she is in her core of her heart. (laughs) I wish I could pretend to be less earnest and sincere than I am, but I'm so earnest and sincere. I literally said, Sydney, she is that earnest and it is meaningful and she means it and it is sincere. She's like, mom, she's the nicest person. I'm like, I know. I I know. (laughs) Okay. Well, until we meet again, I sure do love you. I love you too. I'm so grateful for you. Me too. Me too. Same. And now, to tell us more about the music you've been listening to in this episode, we hear from composer Ryan O'Neill, a.k.a. Sleeping at Last, about the inspiration behind this piece. As a type nine myself, I I honestly believe that it wouldn't be very difficult at all to write my own song. And my reasoning was, of course, because every Sleeping At Last song is kind of technically a type nine song. And I'm sure you already see this coming, but it ended up being the most difficult song I have ever written by a lot. My music is sensitive and it's vulnerable and I overshare and I try to write as personally and honestly as I possibly can. I really thought that it wouldn't be that much of a challenge to share the inner workings of who I am because I already do that in in so much of my other music. But the problem is I set a precedent in the, the start of this project. In writing these nine stories of redemption, I needed to not only just share my own experience, I needed to actually understand what redemption looks like in my life and in me which as it turns out meant that I had to be a level of honest with myself that I have apparently never been (laughs) in my whole life. And it took months and months and months for me to finally realize that I have ultimately ignored the baggage of my own type. And as I've said, I was studying the Enneagram as a typology of only eight types and, and not nine. The need is to avoid for type nine. So of course I did that. But through the struggle of writing this song, I had these really deeply meaningful revelations about myself and about who I am and who I want to be. The short version of that story is that I realized that somehow without meaning to at all, I I had turned the volume down on who I am since essentially since I was a teenager. And I can even trace it back to being about 14 years old. Because I write sensitive songs for so many years, I guess I had assumed that I was very in touch with my emotions and and my heart. And writing this song and, and researching the type nine and the conversations I had forced me to see that for the sake of safety or, or just to maybe to keep things simpler or easier, I put my heart in the back seat of my life, which means for, for years, I've only been giving a portion of myself and my energy to the people I love most. The turning point for me was realizing that empathy is often talked about as the gift for the type nine. And for some reason that just didn't totally feel right. Empathy is a gift of the type nine, but also nines need empathy for themselves in order to to more wholly express empathy towards others. That's essentially the song. It's by far the most personal song I've ever written. And it hurts a little bit to hear it, if I'm being totally honest. But it also serves as a really helpful reminder to myself to always keep my heart really wide open, which is what I've been trying to do ever since writing it. And my hope for other nines that hear it is that they are also reminded of their redemption stories to try not to self-forget as we so easily do, to find empathy towards ourselves in, in the same way that we are wired to empathize with others. I hope it honors the softness, but also 
emboldens the, the strength of the type nine. And there you have it. One of the greats. One of the greats. She is as good as you want her to be. She's as good as you think. And I can confirm as a friend in real time and in real life. I'm grateful to my friend Sarah for all she's taught me. And I'm grateful to you. And I'm thankful for this series. Where? Oh, why do we have to say goodbye? Oh, guys, the For the Love podcast community has shown up in incredible ways for this entire series. My team and I have been super blown away by your response and how many times you have shared this podcast and listened to it and re-listened to it and talked about it. I'm just thrilled. That's why we're here. Laura and her team and Amanda and I, we really just want to put incredible content into your eardrums. That's it. And so thank you for your feedback on this series. Thank you for being so highly engaged. Thank you for sharing it and subscribing to the show and reviewing it and rating it. Just all that means so much to the podcast and it means so much to the team. And so it's our pleasure and it is our delight to serve you week in and week out. All right. Next week, we steer into a brand new series. You'll want to come back. We have been working and planning and planning and working, and we're excited to kick off a whole brand new space with you. So don't miss it. See you then, guys.